Chapter 11 Albert Moffat had been standing behind his wife for some time. She was seated in the corner of an old, brightly speckled divan. On the tube, a slick-haired gentleman with a southern accent was squinting baby blues and acknowledging invalids listing out each malady. Every so often he mentioned a first name and offered comfort. God would not alert him to the pain and suffering without first making sure the victims were watching television. The silver tongue sat, laid his hands on a dark brown ornate volume of something or other. He pushed himself ramrod sharp, shoulders hunched, eyes closed with obvious effort, and began intoning, Bless me, Father. Suddenly he seized up, began shuddering, slowed the ticks, and shook his head from side to side, eyes still tightly shut. While rotating his head, he spewed sing-song and clitic homonyms, melodic nonsense. Just as quickly as the tongues came, they vanished. The proud medium settled into himself, calm, all smiles. He opened his eyes slowly and in a Mr. Rogers voice said, That was God. God has a special message for... When his wife began her vigil to huckster divinity, Moffat used to openly laugh at the scam. That was some years ago. His actions drove his wife further into herself. In the beginning, she would argue with Albert, explain her interest and attachment as relaxation. Then she stopped listening to Albert. He stopped reacting, stopped laughing, stopped speaking to her. Now, the divine presentations engendered no responses in Moffat. He stood slack-jawed unfocused, and allowed the rantings to enter his consciousness without apparent recognition. As the preacher was quoting, a special message for, Moffat heard a heavy rapping on his office door. He left the front room, did not consider that he would never learn the recipient of that special message. His wife never acknowledged that he was standing close enough to reach out and touch. Albert opened the door. Richard Sparn strutted in, as self-important men often do. He remained standing until Moffat extended an arm, indicating a chair. The kid appreciated his own sense of comfort in the presence of power. He ached to continue impressing and bypassed pleasantries. I'm in the process of recruiting some girls for our stables. Moffat feigned interest, not sure if he followed the kid's lead-in. Tell me about it. There's a ton of good-looking bitches in my school. I figure if we start them young enough, they'll bring top dollar on the market. Moffat was still not certain which market the kid was talking about. He sat without comment. Richard interpreted the silence as a request for more information. He continued, I took one of them out tonight. We were in my car. I ordered her to strip. Her clothes were off in a flash. I could tell she was a little scared, but I figured that was a good thing. Albert finally recognized the train of thought. What made you think she was scared? Richard saw the inconsistency. He rebounded. 
When she got her clothes off, she tried to cover her tits with one hand and her pussy with the other. I told her to move her hands and sit straight with her arms at her side. She hesitated. I slapped her. Not hard. I know not to damage the merchandise. She moved her hands away. That's nice, Richard. But our clients can see tits and pussy on TV for free. When they pay us, they expect a little more. The kid was ready. You don't see taxi driver and not know how to handle bitches. He slouched a bit, pimp-like. She went to cover herself again, but I grabbed her arm. I said, give me head, bitch. I sat for a second, slapped her again, not hard, and said, do it. She leaned over and sucked me off. I told her to swallow if she knew what was good for her. Richard paused. Albert was silent again. I put my arm around her and told her she was my number one girl. I figured maybe she was a virgin, so I ordered her to spread her legs and felt for myself. I touched that thing virgins have. When I start running girls, we can auction off the virgins to the highest bidders, make a ton of money. Albert smiled in a gentlemanly fashion. If you would have been with me these last couple of years, these current problems would have never developed. Men with your insight and your understanding, they come along very rarely. You're going to be my... Another heavy rapping interrupted Moffat. He put his index finger to his lips, sealing the shared secrets. Albert went to the office door and admitted Ricardo Morales and his wheelman. Ricardo strutted in, but remained standing until Albert indicated a seat. As Ricardo sat, he noticed a proud, accomplished aura about Sparn. Things must have gone well, he thought. Good. The quicker this thing panned out, the quicker he could move his mother. He noticed his driver remained standing. Smart move. Proper respect for all three of them. Ricardo tilted his head in salutation. Mr. Moffat, Richard, everyone looks happy. The bastards must have gotten the message. Moffat's pleasant mean turned sour. He had not only picked up the train of thought engineered by the kid, he was ready to board it. Unfortunately, the scumbags aren't real smart. I received only three calls. I should have had 25. We'd better teach another lesson. Albert extended his arms outward for effect. Then he continued. I'm not a violent man by nature. I'm a reasonable man. He raised his voice, almost yelling, and slammed his hand on the desk. But order must be restored. In a quieter tone, he said, Hopefully, this will be the last example. As the Don rose from his desk and went to one of his drab, gray filing cabinets, Ricardo and Richard exchanged knowing, powerful glances. The standing driver maintained an emotionless stare. Ricardo had instructed him on the finer points of gangland etiquette during the drive to Moffat's house. Moffat picked a filing cabinet and drawer at random. The outrageous fortune of haphazard selection meant nothing to him. He pulled the drawer open and folded beige, worn files smiled at him. 
Without looking at the names or companies printed on the overlap, he selected one from about two-thirds of the way back. He sat and examined the contents. By chance, the file contained tap rooms, VFWs, and American legions that he had contacted sometime in the past for the installation of poker machines. Some had taken the colorful bandits, some not. A printed sheet in the file contained the name, address, and phone number of 11 establishments. Albert took a 3 by 5 lined white card from his creaking desk and copied the last name and address on the list. Zola's Boulevard Tap. The lethal blacklisting complete, he directed his attention to the boys stationed in front of his desk. This fucking guy is one of the worst. He hasn't paid for five months. We allow him to do whatever he wants. Girls, book, drugs, guns. Walk into his place and you could buy or bet whatever your little fucking heart desires. All he has to do is pay tribute. I thought the last thing would get his attention. I thought he would call or show up, but nothing. As Moffat was speaking, he held the index card between thumb and forefinger, tapping it against the top of his desk in rhythmic monotony. He couldn't think of anything else to say, though. Albert stopped moving the card and remained silent for a few more seconds. He then raised his arm and extended the name to his audience. Richard Sparn, being the most experienced man in the room, took the card. The kid read the information and nodded his head in smug understanding. As he slid it into his back jeans pocket, he asked, How do you want them done? Albert leaned into his battered office chair. The short, shrill scream of wood and iron parts chafing against each other riveted the boy's attention. He spoke with venom. Everyone knows Zola's. We have to make it obvious. We have to make it sensational. I want every fucker out there to sit up and say, if this can happen to Zola, it can happen to me. I want the message to be loud and clear. Ricardo felt a need to contribute at the planning stage. If we go in and take this Zola guy out, we'll have to do everyone in the place. Unless we don't care about witnesses. Of course we don't care about witnesses. Every cop and district attorney is on our payroll. They aren't going to do anything. But that doesn't make any difference. Albert paused, stared at his boys, and continued. If anybody is in the place, they are buying our drugs or fucking our girls. If they are stupid enough to buy from some guy stiffing us, they should fucking die too. Morales sank back in his chair, blood boiling. He hadn't meant to appear weak. He was only looking for clarification. Ricardo stood and pleaded his case. I just wanted to make sure we understood your orders completely. No one will leave the place alive, Mr. Moffat. Albert softened his stare. He gestured for Morales to sit. 
I admire your desire to do things correctly, Ricardo. Make sure everyone understands just as you do. Morales regained his composure and realized that, with the exception of Mr. Moffat, he was the brains of this group. Sparn pulled his chair forward, scraping the legs against the floor. Having snatched the attention, he said, Tell us how you want it done. Do it tomorrow night. Walk into the place late, between 11 and midnight. He thought for a few seconds, then asked, Do you have shotguns? The kid responded, My dad has a couple. I could sneak them out. He has a drawer full of shells, too. I can get some. He'll never miss them. Good. I have an old shotgun you can use, too. Three or four of you walk in. Albert pointed at Ricardo and Richard. Make sure the two of you are there. He returned his pointing finger to the desk. Walk in with shotguns at your side. Don't say a word. Blow everybody away. Make sure everybody is dead. Walk out. Bring me my shotgun and go home. If you pick up blood, clean up first. Come here, then go home. Jesus fucking Christ, Richard said. If that doesn't get everyone's attention, nothing will. Albert continued the thought. Once we have their attention, you two will move up quickly. Do this thing right tomorrow night and you're one step closer. Moffat sensed that he had reached a peak with the boys. He rose from his desk, left the office, and went through the house to get the shotgun from the closet in his bedroom. As Albert walked through the front room, he heard someone say, And I have sinned before, but now I... He turned out the end of the pitch. His wife hadn't moved. She still sat rigidly at one corner of the couch and did not acknowledge his passage. He went to the bedroom closet, found the shotgun leaning against the corner of a back wall. It was in a khaki green case. He removed the case, worked the pump action a few times, and started back to the office. Since his wife was not reacting to his presence, he didn't try to hide the weapon. It worked out okay. She didn't budge. As he glanced at her, he spied the same baby blue-eyed minister he had seen earlier. He continued his journey without stopping to listen. Back in the office, Moffat handed the shotgun to Richard. Have you ever fired one of these? He asked. Sparn said he had. We'll make sure everyone knows how to use them, Moffat ordered. The kid said he would. Ricardo approached Moffat and said, Can I ask you something? Albert placed his hand on the boy's shoulder and said, Of course. What do you need? Tomorrow, I have to meet with some fucking lawyer about something. He doesn't understand my position with you. He's starting to become pushy with me. Will it create a problem if I tell him to leave me the fuck alone without mentioning names? Moffat responded, once we have things back to normal, let me know the name of the judge. I will call him and have it disposed of. A wide smile enveloped Ricardo's face. Ricardo almost bowed, then said, Thank you, Mr. Moffat. Think nothing of it. We take care of our people. 
everyone left. Albert locked up the office and decided to retire. As he passed behind his wife, a preacher he didn't recognize was speaking in the same sing-song, unrecognizable language. About halfway through the room, Moffat stopped dead in his tracks. He suddenly understood what was being said. You're listening to Many Cones by Steve Lestine. 